This podcast was created by Startup Victoria and Victoria University. When things go wrong, duct tape can hold just about anything together. And when you're starting and growing a business, a lot of things can go wrong. Welcome to Duct Tape, a podcast mini-series exploring how startup founders tackle unexpected problems. We call them duct tape moments, those make or break situations that force you to get creative, to think quick and act quicker, to keep the show on the road. And the truth is, every founder has them. I'm Lara Chan Baker, the producer and editor of Duct Tape. And you are about to meet your interviewer for today. For everybody listening, we're sitting in the Commons in Cremorne in Melbourne. Um, I was starving on the way over, so I text you guys. I send an email saying, I'm going to go to this cafe. Quickly, let's get a bite and a coffee. And like, I was trying not to ask you guys questions because I'm saving them up for right now. That's the voice of Jordan Gianfrancesco. Jordi is an entrepreneur to his core. There's very few types of businesses that he hasn't dabbled in at one time or another. These days, you'll mainly find him running his creative studio, Rochambeau, working with various companies to solve their biggest and scariest problems. He's also one of the entrepreneurs in residence at Victoria University, and he served as the chief editor and designer of the very first issue of Duct Tape, the magazine. Today, he's interviewing two entrepreneurial brothers. The UK App Store featured us as App of the Day. Oh, and I was man. like, wow, that was wild. We thought we were getting hacked because we were just getting all this traffic. <laughs> and we're like, where is this coming from? What is going on? I was sitting at university and I saw the graph and I'm like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Like, are we, oh, are we dead? Are we, are we being hacked by someone? That's Alex and Chris Naumides. They're brothers, but they're also the co-founders and co-CEOs of Mindset Health. Although still in their early 20s, these two have experimented with a slew of different businesses together, from sports betting arbitrage and barbecue paper to tablet apps and a dress rental service. But it wasn't until they landed on their current venture that they found something that truly lit their fires. It was their own experiences with anxiety that led them to discover the power of hypnotherapy. And they know how that sounds. They had their scepticism too. But after a few sessions, they realized the massive potential it had for self-improvement and how much it was limited by the stigma that surrounds it. They began looking into the science of hypnotherapy and they were blown away by what they saw. So in 2018, they founded Mindset Health, which is a series of apps that provide evidence-backed digital hypnotherapy programs to help people manage chronic health conditions like anxiety, depression, irritable bowel syndrome, and chronic pain. Getting people to take hypnotherapy seriously can be a challenge. So Alex and Chris have really made it their mission to build effective programs with science at the center. The way things currently stand, chronic pain is one of the greatest costs to the economy, and a lot of that burden falls on the individual. With Mindset Health, the goal is to build at-home management tools that are readily accessible and 10 times cheaper than what's presently available, changing how chronic symptoms are managed for good. Having been through the prestigious accelerator programs Startmate and Y Combinator, Mindset Health has progressed in leaps and bounds and is now well and truly on its way to changing the future of healthcare. Here's Geordie, Alex and Chris to tell you more about Mindset Health's journey and the challenges they've faced along the way. 
So, Chris, intros. Tell me. Um, one of the co-founders of Mindset Health. Originally a finance sort of psychology background, um, not technical at all, but always wanted to start companies. And I think always wanted to start companies with Alex specifically. I think our dad's an entrepreneur as always said into us that you can do anything and you can go for something big and not necessarily follow a curve. And so we, I don't know, we were always interested in starting from like uh, random mobile apps for iPads when we were back in like 15, 16 and um, barbecue paper, which when we tested, we set it alight on. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't a good idea, but. Oh, mental. Uh, so big business family. We had like the, the dinner dinner table chats where we just like come home and he'll be like, oh, this happened to work and stuff. And we just get into it and it's good fun. Oh, that's epic. Alex. Yeah. So as Chris mentioned, uh, I'm Alex. I'm the co-founder of Mindset Health. Uh, we're brothers. I'm 25. Chris's older brother. Yeah. Did accounting and finance. I was actually an accountant for four months, but then Mindset got accepted into Startmate and then I quit. Uh, but it was great. It was a great experience and hopefully helped starting a business and running that and scaling it. As Chris mentioned, we've always been interested, even younger than that, like making like gold class uh, cinemas that we charge a family and friends to enter with my friend Tom, um, barbecue paper, all of that fun stuff. And then, yeah, Mindset. And I'll be running that for three years, but we sort of really dialed in on what we're wanting to do at Mindset Health like a year and a half ago when we got into YC and sort of pivoted into this like healthcare company. Dude, it's absolutely amazing. Let's unpack a few things first. Like, was this your first startup? So our first, I would say, official startup was called Covet. Um, and that was a, a peer-to-peer dress rental app for women to share dresses like they would on Airbnb. Great first company for two brothers. Um, but yeah. it was, yeah, it was our first <laughs> real crack at making a startup. We taught ourselves to code to make that. So that was a big part of it. We, we came up with the idea because my partner had so many dresses. She's like, I can't wear this. I can't wear that because it's been on social media or it's been used or whatever it oh, was. Man. And it's like, well, you've got these hundreds of dresses. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but many dresses and you can't wear them, but you can't like sell them either. So could you share them? And so naturally, instead of working with her, I worked with my, my brother Chris to like, let's, let's make the Airbnb for dresses. And we know that the market is using Instagram for sharing these dresses. Could we make a mobile app to make it super easy to do that? But at the time, we, although in the past we had done very minimal coding, uh, we, weren't, we were commerce um, students and at the time going through university. So we're like, okay, we can either outsource it, except we're students and we have no money, or we could learn to code ourselves. And that's what we did. And timeframe-wise, when was this? This was um, start of 2017. Okay, cool. And we yeah, we bought like a $13 Udemy course to be able to learn to code because, yeah, we didn't have teachers to go to. We didn't have friends that knew how to code. So we were like, oh, where can we do it? Udemy is this online course. Let's just follow this course for about a month. Spent like our locked in the basement for about, yeah, four weeks and then came out with it. <laughs> we were like, oh, shit, we might know how to code now. <laughs> and, and did you? Did you figure it out? Yeah, yeah, we definitely figured it out. We were pretty good at it, but probably too good. We were, like we spent a lot of time. So that was when we were learning and we slowly transitioned to starting to build Covet. But that was a six-month process. And it took us six months to get our first MVP out. We hadn't spoken to any users. We hadn't done any market research. We're like, oh, oh this would be good features. Like they would want a community. They would want XYZ. Two males. We obviously know yeah. the market really well. Yeah, of course. I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You saw a gap in the market and you totally know. Yeah, we went for it. <laughs> oh, man. Isn't that that's such a – it's funny now looking back. Like, I can only imagine like I've got similar stories of thinking I understand the customer and it sounds like the same thing happened with you guys. So what happened with the app? Did you did you launch? We did launch. Um 
and to our surprise, our uh, we thought we knew the market extremely well, but apparently the market didn't think we knew it extremely well. Um, <laughs> so we, we launched, we didn't get much traction. We were pushing it pretty hard at the start. We had some issues where when we're self-taught developers, you don't really know how to program. And so there's things, I think one time we um, accidentally deleted the whole database. And so we had all these users oh. transacting who now just lost all their addresses and lost everything on the platform. Do we back it up? We did not back it up. Oh, no. <laughs> that was like, yeah. Yeah. Alex, so, you just asked the question. I was just going, please, please be a happy ending. But there no. wasn't. Well, no, there was a happy ending. Um, well, one, there wasn't that many people using it. So okay, cool. it was all our friends. But we hit up Google and we're like, yo, this is what happened. And they're like, yeah, we can help you. We're and like, we oh, sent an God. email to our users. We're like, oh, um, no, don't worry. Nothing. It's, it's scheduled, scheduled maintenance. <laughs> Down for scheduled maintenance. We're like, it was like, like, I don't know, maybe four days, four days, I think. Um, oh, my God. And we're like, oh, scheduled maintenance. Don't worry. It's coming back. It's fine. And then eventually we did get it back and it was up. But it was like, it was cool to see that, hey, like shit goes wrong. But in reality, if you don't have a shit, like heaps of people using you, then it's not that bad anyway. Yeah. Um, it's how you manage those moments, right? Like expectations with your users or the database or I can't believe Google helped out. It turns out they, they're keeping backups of everything, at least for a temporary amount of time before they deleted it. So we hit them up on the day it happened. Um, oh, probably a bit suspicious anyway that they're keeping backups of everything. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that aside, thank God. Yeah, well, thank God because all the users that weren't using us would have kept not using us. Like we didn't really have any transactions. The ones that were happening, they went off platform. So essentially, oh, yeah, rent my dress, but could you do it? in cash and it's like well um, then we don't get the fee and so that was like the ones that were happening were happening off tr off platform and so it wasn't working as a business oh my god that that whole peer-to-peer -peer economy right based on platforms that's such a massive challenge i recently um to hijack the conversation make it about myself of course <laughs> um i had an airbnb listing deleted completely because i accidentally triggered a few things automatically in the system and it got deleted and bookings gone and all the rest of it. And the same thing, I had to hit up Airbnb and go, hey, what's going on? They're like, oh, we thought you were a fake listing. And then they sent me a list of things that trigger the system to automatically delete or unpublish an account. And the biggest one is if you put your number or email address into the chat system, catch you later. <laughs> because if that's uh, moving revenue off a platform, mm. same thing here. That's that's no good for the business. And these tech businesses aren't cheap to run as um, – well, it was pretty cheap to run. Oh, at the time? Yeah. At the time, there yeah. was, we were not paying ourselves. There was no costs. Um, yeah. we, we had So we funded ourselves at the time. But then we got through the generator, which was like Monash's accelerator program. So they gave us 10K. At the time, I don't think the 10K had come in. So it was still self-funded. But it was, yeah, it was pretty cheap. Oh, my goodness. So I'm just trying to keep up with the timeline. So 2017, this idea, gap in the market. Let's um, see if we can rent these dresses launch all that drama how far into it and, and what happened is the app still alive so we built it for six months yeah um we launched it for about eight weeks about eight weeks we were like get into the market really push hard and we would have stayed for a lot longer and if you look at that time six months for eight weeks is a very short time and this was about mid 2017 mm -hmm. but then one of our mentors kish he asked us do you want to work on this problem for the next seven to ten years and it was like Women's dress is not a problem that we face ourselves, not something that we're aligned with mission time, mission ways long-term, so no. And it was actually a pretty easy decision for us to stop working on it and kill it. What was a harder decision or something we didn't expect afterwards was that like our identity was tied up in this product and even though it hadn't had success or anything like that, we'd still be telling all of our friends, everyone at uni, everyone like that. And so post that killing it, we fell into this period of like self-doubt, anxiety, um, 
issues with mental health issues where it's like, oh shit, I have all these thoughts I can't control. And oh man, I, I'm so thankful for your mentor, Kish, you said. Mm. What a, an amazing thing to say because if you can't find purpose in, in what you're doing, you know, maybe for those first eight weeks or the six months building, you're fired up with the fire in the belly and yeah, this sounds great. Let's learn a new skill and launch it. But yeah, man, I couldn't imagine waking up seven years down the track doing something every day that you weren't super into or didn't understand the customer or the marketplace. So, man, it sounds like after that happened and, and you wrapped it up, there was a, a bunch of identity issues there that needed unpacking. And how did you tackle that? And it was also accelerated because we were in an accelerator program. Oh, my goodness. So we had course. like four weeks to go until demo day. We had nothing to show for all of our time there. We're, we're the startup guys to our friends and we don't have a startup and we're like suffering from yeah, anxiety and these stress and like, fuck, like, we want to get something built by demo day. And we got on this track of like, oh, we have all these external stresses, like pressuring us, our friends, family, our in, like our own intrinsic pressure on ourselves. How can we control these um, emotions and, and these thoughts and got us thinking about mindset and, and that growth mindset and all of that element. And then we came across hypnosis on a podcast, actually, science versus hypnosis. And they talked about there was a lot of evidence behind it as a, as a therapeutic tool, as a way to amplify therapy and become more focused and absorbed. And we're like, that's really interesting. And it really aligns with what we're facing at the moment. And could we do what, say, a Headspace or a Calm have done and bring something that was once a woohoo science for hippies, like seven to 10 years ago, and bring it to the mainstream? And we're like, wow, this, this is really cool. And it's something that we could actually do for our own problems. And so you listen to the podcast. Do you remember what the podcast was? So it's, it's like a Gimlet Media one called Science Versus. And oh, there was one okay. called Science Versus Hypnosis. Wow. And that, you know, referring to hypnosis as that hippie woohoo uh, therapy, there was enough in that podcast to, to get both of you interested, I, I should imagine. Who found the podcast? I, you weren't sharing headphones. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, uh, I came across it originally, but then shared it with Chris. And it wasn't like, oh, oh my God, this is, this is insane. It was like, wow, that's interesting. Like, let's learn more. And I think it got us on that journey of learning and diving deeper into it. And I was like, wow, there's actually a lot of evidence behind this as a therapeutic tool, as a, as a way to amplify CBT and guided imagery. It's like, that, that's really cool. And there's an opportunity here where everyone else thinks it's bullshit. Yeah. And did you undertake the therapy personally? Yeah, so we went to in-person therapists. Um, yeah. and we also tried a few different recordings because we we're like, oh, what's the difference between the two? Can we even do this in person? Like, what uh, can we do this in a recording? Like, how does that sort of change in terms of thing? And what we found was in person, I went to two different hypnotherapists. One was really good and one was really bad. And I think the way I, well, yeah, at least for me, um, and I thought that was cool because it was like, oh, there's actually a big distinction between the type of hypnosis and the type of hypnotherapy. And there's some people who know what they're doing. There's some people who don't know what they're doing. And that's a hard for any person to be able to figure out who's who. So I'm, I'm going to have to be that guy right now. And yep. can you explain to me what one of these sessions looks like, feels like, what's the outcomes, like all those sorts of things to a complete newbie to hypnosis? If I went to see a practitioner, let's just start with maybe in real life, how does a uh, consultation go? Yeah, so generally you'll walk into a consultation, you'll do a sort of debrief with them and get an understanding of what you're trying to work through. So for me at the time it was anxiety. Um, and so we walked through, like did a debrief of anxiety and then we could get an understanding of what type of area of my anxiety is it um, 
focusing on what I can control versus can't control is it what what can I work on to help me build the skills to manage anxiety? And so in the same way that you would any other therapy, but where hypnosis differs is the delivery method of the hypnotherapy itself. So after we figure that out, let's say we're going to walk through hypnosis recording. I walk in, um, I lie down on a chair or on a like a couch or something. I close my eyes and I focus on their voice. I focus on their voice as they guide me through a relaxation and focusing technique to be able to get me absorbed in what they're saying. So I'm more suggestible and more receptive to new ideas. And so once you're in that absorbed state, so lie down, close your eyes, get relaxed, become absorbed, and then it's walking through therapeutic techniques. So um, one of the ones we focused on was uh, understanding how people are different to you and how you can't control what they think. And so that the session was about that. And then you're pulled out and you're more awake and alert afterwards. And now you've been in this focused and absorbed state, allowing you to learn that skill better. And now you're back out of that state. Absolutely amazing. So I'm drawing parallels to meditation and breath work. And so I imagine if somebody's even been to a yoga uh, session and at the end, the instructor takes you through some sort of kind of semi-guided meditation is that on the same on the right direction? Definitely, but so more yeah. concentrated, more concentrated, and specific on like a therapeutic outcome. Um, oh wow! So, and I think something that's really cool here is the delivery method. I just said eyes closed, going through an experience like this, and generally not interactive. Um, some there are, but generally not interactive is very transferable to a mobile phone. I um, mean, that was like one of the blinking moments for us. Is like okay. This therapy, unlike of a lot of other therapies, isn't as interactive. Can we pull this into a mobile application and sort of replicate that same experience of closing your eyes, listening to someone speak, and pulling you through a guided? Um, Far out. And Alex, have you taken part in hypnosis at the uh, same time? Were you like, i got to suss this out as well? Yeah, so it did one session, I think, with a, a different person. It w- the person wasn't amazing, um, I have to say, as well. And I think that it comes down to the same problem that we actually are trying to solve is you anyone can call themselves a hypnotherapist you don't have to have a certain qualification it's really unregulated and that means there's high searching costs and to find someone good like it it takes a lot of work and you'll have to face a lot of bad people yeah. and which well, is which so to interrupt that's the last thing that you want if you're in yeah. a vulnerable place and you're looking for help last thing that you want to do is go through you know five ten different therapists for to find maybe one yeah Exactly. And especially for something like hypnosis, where there's already these misconceptions, like it's a high barrier to entry for most people. And so part of what we're trying to work on is, could you work with the best practitioner in the world and help make them accessible and make the best therapy accessible to everybody versus like you have to find your local person who might not be the best? Far out. So timeline. You went to, Chris, you went to the first hypnotherapist. At what point did you go, well, you know, the connection was made that there's there's a gap in the market and there's a huge need here for, for people looking for this sort of accessible hypnotherapy. When did the uh, light bulb moment happen when you went, you know, the basement coding could really help the launch of this new startup idea? We, at, at that point, we were just testing out a few problems that we were solving ourselves. There was another problem. I can't remember it now. But if, so that was during the accelerator program. So about eight weeks in, we had about three weeks before Demo Day. And we were like, okay, this is something that we're facing ourselves, but we don't necessarily know there's a market need. Um, but what we do know is that we need it. And there's probably a lot of people like us. We wanted to try it for ourselves first. So we went and did it in person. We looked at like how we could actually feasibly do this. And then it was like, okay, three weeks till Demo Day, what can we actually do? Um, can we build something that can show and we can get start getting early data from users that this is actually something that people want. And in three weeks, it's not an easy, easy time. No, to no, I'm, I'm sitting here like everyone <laughs> listening, shaking my head going, yo, three weeks? <laughs> so, do you got data? 
Well, we, did, we it, launched. We it. launched a product. Holy! Yeah, yeah we we <laughs> built an app in three weeks, and we we're like, we need to get this done by demo day. And so, um, I think we it actually got accepted by Apple on demo day, the morning of demo oh, day. Um, how many high fives when it happened? <laughs> it was very like we got rejected like multiple times in the days leading up to demo day on on stupid things. Yeah. But the first time, like or second time launching an app to market, like there's a lot of things that you have to do correct. And so we're like, oh, we're not going to have something launch. We're not going to have something launch. But we just push, 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 and then just getting it approved. And in the market, and we got like 50 downloads on that day for because of demo day. I was like, nice, like this is wild, like this is really cool. I think we um, we had to like not steal, but we had to use the same code from Cover. We had to um, somehow find like recordings that we could get from people that we trusted online, and so it was like a mix between of like content design coding, and we just wanted to do it in the simplest way possible. And so it was a bunch of like. It was like a, a sculpture made out of clay. Like there was definitely not going to last and it wasn't going to survive for a while, but we wanted to get something out there and be able to see if it worked. Wow. And so that first product into market, of course, the app, what was the hypnotherapy focusing on? Did you pick a niche? So part of what we were trying to do is what's the niche that is most in need? So there was many different like areas of subject mm. matters that we thought, oh, people might want help with. Let's let the market decide what what is what are people interested in getting help for. I think we had productivity bad habits, sleep, and anxiety, I think were the four. Mm-hmm. And the two that people were most responding to in terms of the session were sleep and anxiety. Um, and that really led us into where our next, like, it was actually called Better Mind at the time. It wasn't even called Mindset. Yeah. It was a good decision to change the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, it's good. Oh, wow. And so you, you launched, yeah, how the heck did you get from there to here i'm like blown away right now because that seemingly you know to pay reference to the podcast duct tape and and shining light on those moments that don't quite go to plan you got to put something together and the whole journey so far has just been like oh, holy crap let's get this together let's put it in market but the most important thing is like re- remaining true to yourself it, it sounds at least for me that you you really want to focus on a problem that's worth solving and you found it in hypnosis and and multiple issues that people are facing every day so you launched with anxiety so we launched with those four all four okay and then we wanted to see which sessions or which areas users would listen to oh Um, wow because we created four products to start with in the three weeks to chuck in there it was like four packs packs. okay yeah Yeah. within the same product okay so um and then it was anxiety and sleep and so post demo day it was like okay now we can actually learn from our users. We've got a real product that people are actually using and actually enjoying, and that was new for us because we'd never done that before with Covet. Um, where where can we sort of use these people as a way to understand them more and really develop an understanding of the market and where we can go with that? And so we went, we listened to them, we went into that anxiety and sleep, and that was the originator for like the mindset app itself. Absolutely amazing. And so 2018, I'm guessing, around there, where did the journey go from 2018 to to today, we're sitting in 21. So next steps was completely rebuilding the app. And I think that's a key part is like the duct tape app of like two weeks before demo day, just something super simple was not the thing that stayed there. We completely rebuilt it from scratch, which it made sense at the time. And so we launched that rebranded mindset in March 2018. I think a, a big moment for us was in March or April, the UK app store featured us as app of the day. Oh, and I was like, man. wow, that was wild. We thought we were getting hacked because we were just getting all this traffic. <laughs> and we're like, where is this coming from? What is going on? I was sitting at university and I saw the graph and I'm like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Like, are we, oh, are we dead? Are we, are we being hacked by someone? And so um, this time you're both still at uni? Yes. Yeah. So we, I, I think I was just starting my job as an accountant. So Chris was 
Did you drop out? I think you might have been dropping out at the time or at least considering it. No, no, no. I dropped out with Starmate. Okay. Yeah. So I was an accountant. Um, so I was helping pay the bills while Chris was at uni helping to build it at the same time. Um, and then so we were, yeah, op- the app of the day was really good because it got us a lot of downloads and a lot of subscribers, which helped us get into Startmate, which is an accelerator program out of Melbourne and, and Sydney and now New Zealand. And that was the catalyst for us to be like, okay, this is something we can focus on. We've now got 75K, a massive amount of money at the time. And like, this is, this is a real company. Chris drops out of uni. I quit my job as an accountant after four months and this is our full-time job. And since then, it's been our full-time like obsession. Oh my goodness. So start mate and great injection of capital then from there to, to YC. I want to, I want to get over to YC. Yeah, so after Startmate, we were like, oh, let's raise around. This is what we people do. But it was very difficult and we did it very poorly. Um, it was the first time trying to raise and we didn't run a good process. And so we were, we were going to raise like a million dollars and then someone told us to raise 300. And so we're like, oh, let's raise 300. And then we just kept jumping around because we didn't really have an understanding ourselves of what we needed. Well, it's a, it's a really complicated thing to figure out for not only first time founders, but even people that have been around the block a few times. It's what is the right decision and, and what type uh, of investment are you trying to attract? You know, not all money is created equal that I'm sure you, you've figured out that, you know, a lot of the time it's who's it connected to? How can that person unlock doors for me? Because like it or not, there's going to be tricky, tricky things to overcome and having those mentors and connections in investors with who have, of course, invested interest is key. So what did you raise? Well, we didn't end up raising. We were very oh. so. It took us six months. We were, I think, in March or April nineteen at this point, and we were nearly raising like a three hundred thousand dollar pre seed round. And we were like, okay, is this what we want to do? Does this amount make sense? Can we keep growing and like do more and get at a bigger round where we can actually make a difference? Luckily, at the time, we just got accepted into Y Combinator, so that was their their investment was going to be essentially like part of the pre seed. And so we were able to say, okay, thank you very much for your help at this point, but we're going to focus on YC. So we went to San Francisco, moved there for four months to go through Y Combinator and grow our, grow our startup there. But unfortunately, the because we had to do a flip up, essentially get our US holding company above our Australian operating entity, it took a long time to do the legals. And so we're in San Francisco paying 15000 USD a month in rent and all these other expenses we didn't have back in Melbourne. And we had run out of money and running out of money. So Chris and I put all of our money into it and like, okay, well, this YC money is going to come and it's going to come and it's going to come. And now we had no money left. 15 grand a month. Yeah. I don't think it was, it wasn't 50. I think in total. It was expensive. It was expensive. SF SF is expensive. Um, Wow. Yeah. And so (laughs) we get, we've run out of money. We luckily got a credit card. And so that was sort of our duct tape on like, let's just put all the expenses on a credit card and hope the money comes in by then when we had to pay it off. it was still taking a while. Like it was still taking a long time. We're just like, okay, do we just keep building the company still? Like what do we, do we have to fix this issue? Is it, yeah. Man, well, that would be, I imagine now hearing this, and this is the first time that I've heard uh, the flip up, but I'm going to imagine that a lot of Australian startups who aspire to be in the US markets, the EU, UK, probably don't consider that until they're in the position that you guys are in going, oh my God, I need this to happen. 
what was that process like? Yeah, it, it was actually not too bad from our end. Um, it just took a long time. So YC introduced us to a US lawyer that could help. So we had our Australian lawyers work with those lawyers and then they just have to do all this work and documentation and stuff like that. Um, the fee was waived if, because we're YC if we use them as a for our Series A. So when that happens, we'll have to use them. Um, but that was good, really good for the timing of that. There was a few legal complexities that we have in an Australian company that I think a lot of Australians will have as well um, that the US doesn't recognize. And so with that complexity, it was like, oh, okay, this is not as easily as just like getting a US company and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to the naive ear of, of mine over here, it's like, dude, start a company. That company owns this company. Like, that's what we thought as well. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> yeah. That would yeah. be the but it's like, about. oh, are you transferring IP? Is that a taxable event? Is that like, yeah. luckily we weren't transferring all of our IPs in the Australian entity and stuff like that. But there's all a lot of considerations around, yeah, what is that? And what happens to our, because what with our stock holding and how, how does that work, that transfer to ownership of that? Oh, my goodness. So you spent the whole four months in San Fran, YC. Man, that would have been bloody fun though. Apart from the stress and the complexities around law, how was the experience being an Australian startup in Y Combinator, which is no small fee? Like that's amazing, guys. It was it was really exciting. Um, it, we had applied three times to get into this point. So we had been rejected twice. We interviewed, got rejected. So being accepted and having to be the chance to fly over to San Francisco to Silicon Valley and work from there. And the was, Mecca, right? Yeah, the Mecca. <laughs> and just like the first experience we had, we go to like Phil's Coffee or something yeah. and we're just sitting having a coffee and then the people next, next to us are talking about like, oh, we need to close this acquisition or something. I was like, oh, my God, everyone's doing startups. This is exciting. <laughs> this is really cool. And all our friends were like super ambitious people trying to do this like crazy startup that is like WWE for esports or some other random idea like that. And it's like, yeah, fuck yeah, go for that. My goodness, crazy. So when you came back from Y Combinator, was was mindset in a, in a completely different position? What was the outcomes? How, how are you feeling about it? So something that YC did for us was make us really look at what we're trying to build. And we looked at Mindset, the app, which was a mental health app at the time. Um, but we had one pack was IBS. And that was a huge percentage of the users. And the, the users who were using that irritable bowel syndrome program were by far the most engaged, retaining longer and like converting a much higher percentage. And it was like, we've sort of realized this where hypno, hypnotherapy can like get traction and go mainstream is not in a broad wellness app like Headspace, but in a narrow symptom specific, uh, condition specific app like Nerva. And so we launched Nerva during YC and that was another like quick build. We used the mindset as the pr prototype of that, but we spun it out, launched it in two weeks as a new product called Nerva that was only delivering hypnotherapy for irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and that was actually based on research coming out of Monash University. So uh, Dr. Simone Peters ran an RCT with their showing IBS could be managed by similar degree as the low FODMAP diet, but with gut-directed hypnotherapy. And so after that, it was like, okay, could we build this portfolio of these single condition digital therapeutics? And now we changed the name to Mindset Health, bought the Mindset Health domain, and we now are a healthcare company. Guys, I'm absolutely blown away. <laughs> like, it seems like from the outside, uh, kind of listening to this, I'm sure all our listeners are, are going to be feeling the same, that it's, it's this constant feeling of like tenacity and like just Aussie grit that I totally love that it was just like fall over, get up, fall over, you know, apply again, apply again. We got in. That's great. But at all times, having that that mindset, right, to to question the solution over and over and over, that's an amazing, amazing value that, that you both have 
in creating mindset health, which is unbelievable. I think we had to, um, with Dr. Michael Yapko, so who's the doctor for mindset, we probably emailed him four times before he replied and then we had to go on three calls to convince him to come work with us. And then similarly with Dr. Simone Peters was multiple emails, multiple calls, just really trying to get her involved and excited about what we see as well. Um, so we're used to rejection, but rejection just breeds learning. <laughs> but at the time, like we're talking about it, it sounds like, oh, we're so there's so much grit and so much persistence, but it didn't feel like that. It, it felt like, oh, when we we're running out of money, we're well, IMAX, like, oh, that sucks. Like, like we weren't existentially scared or anything like that. And we were just doing this stuff and like, yeah, let's keep going. Like it was just was natural to us. It wasn't like, oh, like, oh, this is hard, but we must push through. It was just like kept going, I guess. Yeah, you almost didn't have a choice, right? Yeah. Like, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's go. Like, let's make it work. Or we'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the attitude is the core of it, right? That's the core of the business. So today, like I was on the website this morning, beautiful, by the way, my background's design and I love the illustrations. It's so easy to navigate. It's like, I really, really, really like it. Where is, where's mindset going? So our next step is to build that portfolio of digital therapeutics to become the mix of Headspace and Pfizer. So our next program is in menopause. So we're working with a researcher coming out of Baylor University who's done a 187-person RCT showing that hypnosis-based guided imagery can improve menopausal hot flushes by 76% compared to 17% for the placebo. So our next thing is can we take this Nerva playbook of like a prescriptive program for a single condition and replicate that for menopause, for depression, for sleep, for chronic pain, and build this just big healthcare company that we can help like millions and hopefully a billion people like manage their health without requiring drugs or restrictive elimination diets. That is amazing. I can't wait to see that. And I, I think you're definitely well on your way. It'd be amazing to, to have everybody know that this is available and that this is an option as not some of, you know, to quote you guys, you know, hippie woohoo therapy that, you know, you know, it's all you know, mumbo jumbo, but to be a, a viable cause and something that should seriously be considered before taking some harder drugs or different therapies, it's guys, it's amazing. So it's come to the point in the show where I have to ask each of you the question: Do you have? And Chris, I'll start with you. Do you have a a duct tape moment? Although we've just spoke about what feels like one after another. Is there one time in your startup career so far that you just went, oh my God, how are we going to, uh, how are we going to get through this and, you know, metaphorically pull out the duct tape? Does anything come to mind? There's a lot of ones of like more the hustle side of things where it's like running out of money, post the generator. Alex is now doing a full-time job where we're um, slowly slipping away from this mindset being a real thing. Um, like I'm still at university going back to doing four subjects at uni. It's not, it's not something we're committing to. And it felt like mindset potentially was falling a bit behind in terms of it was, it wasn't being our biggest focus as it was previously. And that I guess is mindset falling apart. And the, the duct tape part that I guess if I'm bringing it out was we saw start made as a really good opportunity for us to have that commitment for us to have that ability to come onto something full time and to for take that like leap of faith. We had open office hours of start made and we applied because we really wanted to get involved in the community. We didn't know anyone in the field at all. Um, and we got rejected. And so we're like, Oh, like, damn that they're rejecting us in a way to get like open office hours. We really wanted to speak with some people in the startup thing and see what it's like to do it really. And 
so we decided to just sneak in and just to go to the office hours anyway. Oh, dude, I love it. <laughs> so we we rocked up and there was, I think it was at some, it was like AWS office or something like that. And we got up to like the 10th floor and we're with all the other startup people. They all had badges around their chest and we're like, hmm, this is not going to go well. Um, <laughs> we just stood up, shoulders back and went and walked with confidence right past them. They all showed their membership and we went and picked up a membership as well because they were guests. It wasn't a person. And so oh. we just picked one up and rocked it through and just walked with confidence, even though we weren't on the list. And so I think we met Michael Bacco there as well at the first time. So that was the best introduction to start made in startups in general for us. Oh, I absolutely love it. I don't know if it's a good duct tape moment though. It's more like every, everything for us is a duct tape moment. Like we're always just like trying random shit and then- it not working and then being like, okay, so what what can we what can we do to fix it? What can we get do to get better? I mean, and that's the core of the entrepreneurial spirit, right? It's it's how to fail forward, how to get through, get past adversity, make it work. Alex. I was supposed to be thinking about it on the walk and I couldn't think. And I heard Chris talking about that one. I was like, fuck, that's, a, that's the one I wanted to do. Oh, you can share it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. No. Share the duct tape moment. We actually struggled to think of them because it was like – yeah, everything for us is sort of duct tape. Like we don't know what we're doing at any point of time. It's always just like, okay, let's just try to think from first principles what what makes sense. Like what are we actually trying to do here? And then something doesn't work, that's fine. Like we just put it together and try it again. Nah, amazing. A, a duct tape moment that jumps out to me and it also is part hustle, I think. But so we didn't have money for marketing. I think when we launched Nerva and we were you know on Amex and we were running out of money, but we – I just launched it and we need to like get growth. And so one of the the principles of Y Combinator is do things that don't scale. And so what we had the idea of was let's seed communities. So on Facebook, on Reddit of IBS support communities and things like that. And like build this like groundswell of like Nerva, 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 like people talking about this new solution. And so the way we did that was essentially build this narrative through like posting reviews that we had gotten like from the app from like our other users and building this groundswell of like people talking about it and often it was just like have you heard of this app like it looks cool but it, it's not as like an ad in the same yeah just getting it into those circles exactly that you know getting those first 10 reviews first 10 users to 20 to 40 to 80 you know how the story goes it's such a challenge but exactly it, yeah. yeah it helped us get to yeah our first like thousands in revenue for Nerva and it, it really helped us get to that. Like that was just before Demino again as well. So it's like that pulling, just literally pulling people into this product and educating them in ourselves as if we were like a user or as if we were a, like a customer support when it was just us two. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, guys. Well, I've got to thank you so much for coming in, hanging out with me today. If somebody listening today is suffering from IBS is really interested, wants to find out more, where should they go? Yeah, so you can search Nerva on the App Store, N-E-R-V-A, or go to the mindsethealth.com website where you'll be able to see Nerva and our future products as well. Amazing. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jordan. Catch you later. And that's it for this episode of Duct Tape. If you enjoyed this, good news. We've got a whole lot more coming for you. In fact, there's already a ton of fascinating interviews with Victorian founders on our website, ducttaped.co. So that's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E-D dot co. So head there for more and please go rate and review the podcast. It makes a really big difference to us behind the scenes. 
Also, you'd better go take a closer look at Mindset Health and the incredible things that they're doing. If you're suffering from a chronic condition like IBS or anxiety, give Mindset Health a go. Or if you're looking to join one of Australia's fastest growing startups and make a real difference to the lives of thousands, Mindset Health are hiring for all sorts of roles. Find all the information you need at mindsethealth.com forward slash careers. Duct Tape is a collaboration between Startup Victoria and Victoria University. An enormous thank you to Alex and Chris Naumides for sharing with us today, to Jordan Gianfrancesco, our fabulous interviewer, and to the rest of the team, Judy Anderson, Poppy Triller, and Hannah G. I've been your narrator, producer, and editor, Lara Chan Baker. We'll catch you next time with the next episode of Duct Tape. <laughs>